Yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the me- what? What? Oh no! <laughs> ah! That was the lamp. Luxo showed up. Anyway, that uh, that's how we're starting today. Show me the meaning! <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. What's up? I'm Austin Hayden Smith, and I'm joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We have Ryan back with us. Sup, film fans? And we have Raymond here with us. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And this week we're going to be talking about the, uh, could we say it's like a home run of a film? Like I, whenever it's like a film that's really well received and it's getting all the praise and all the love, it's a home run of a film, right? I mean, I guess we'll... You, wait, you, you mean critically uh, yeah. and, and whatnot? Yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. It, it, uh, uh, it is pretty perceived as a home run. A home yeah. run of a film, as most of Pixar's films are... It is Soul, the film that just came out recently, directed by Pete Docter, who also did Monsters, Inc. He did Up and Inside uh-huh. Out. And it stars Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Graham Norton, Felicia Rashad, David Diggs, Angela Bassett, etc., etc., etc. Questlove makes an appearance in there. And, uh, that's cool. That's right, that's right. So uh, we're going to talk about this film today, but before we get into the recap, before we get into the juicy goodness of it, what we're first going to do is go around and get first impressions. I imagine each of us have probably only seen the film once, but you may have seen it uh-uh. twice. Uh-uh. Oh, uh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word. Um, all right, okay, well, since Ryan has apparently maybe seen it more than once, we'll start with Raymond so that we can get keep all the gemstones of, like, a double critique for the uh, for afterwards. So, Raymond, what were your first impressions on watching Soul? Sure, I, uh, I thought it was really good. I think this is in a top-tier Pixar. Uh, I thought it was uh, really interesting. Um, and I think it stands in pretty sharp contrast to uh, their other film from last year, Onward, which was uh, a decent movie. It has its charms, but it, it felt a little bit more like a, a DreamWorks picture or even lesser Pixar. And I, I think it was nice to have this sort of one-two punch where you can get a movie like this right after that one and say, oh, yeah, they, they definitely still got it. Um, I, I think the, uh, the Dream Factory is uh, up and running over there at Pixar still. And I just wanted to shout out, um, Pete Doctor did get directing credit on this, but uh, there is a co-director as well and a co-writer named Kemp Powers. So I just wanted to uh, shout him out as well at the beginning of the show. Awesome. All right, Ryan, what about you? Since you seem to have maybe seen it twice? Well, that's a little, not really. I basically, uh, through no fault of the movies, through no fault of the film, I fell asleep twice before uh, <laughs> I actually found, watched the whole thing. I basically, you know, I started it way too late. I was lying down, felt good. And then I made it pretty much the same part at both times. It was great. Uh, um, I'm, I'm not as probably high as both of you, I think. I, I, I would say it's at the top of mid-tier Pixar, you know, at the, not, it's not in the cream of the crop. I don't put it there, you know, um, and like even Inside Out, which I think this is the quote unquote spiritual successor to or sequel. Um, uh, I think Inside Out is, is uh, to me, affected me better, better, affected me more. Although this film definitely spoke to me specifically. Like I am like, Mm -hmm. I, I, there was a lot of stuff I totally related to in this movie. I mean, this movie's great. I don't mean to shit on it at all. Right, it's right. awesome. Um, but yeah, and, and it's, especially as me, you know, like 
I'm, you know, doing creative stuff. Like, 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 and I am one of those people that would be on the boat there in the lost souls world. Like I'm just obsessed <laughs> with what I'm doing. I would argue whether that's a bad or good thing. You know, I think you can kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, I, it's a lot about balance and time and, hmm. and, and existential stuff. And definitely my first impression as uh, when I first watched it, I was like, wow, this is so heavy and deep for a kid's movie. And it's awesome. I love hmm. that. There needs to be more of that in kids media. Um, and this is probably one of the best examples. Um, it is crazy. Uh, there's no way I would have understood this movie when I was five. I'm just going to say that I would have been like, Ooh, that was that, that character is funny, huh? But like, I definitely wouldn't have really got it, but that's one of the beauties of Pixar is that you can watch it as an adult and really get something out of it too. Before moving on, Ryan, I was curious, you say this is kind of knocking on the door of Pixar's top tier. What do you think is uh, the best of the best for them? What's your favorite? To me, it's Toy Story. It's, uh, the Incredibles. It's, um, I put Inside Out up there, I put Up Up there for me personally. And then, you know, and then uh, uh, I know Wally's waffling on the edge of top and stuff. I know it's beautiful. It's just, I don't want, it doesn't have the rewatch ability for me. Same with Finding Nemo, I don't really love as much. And that's another P-Doctor. I love P-Doctor. Um, I think that's P-Doctor. Uh, anyway, that's my cream of the crop. What about you, Raymond? Oh, my favorite of them? Um, you know, my gut says Incredibles. I haven't given it too much thought, but I really, mm. really love The Incredibles, that first one. And even the second one's quite good, but I, I think that first one is a, a hell of a great time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so um, I actually, I fully agree with Ryan. Um, I think this is a good movie. Okay, cool. Um, I think it's a really good movie. I think in the landscape of movies... This is more movie. If we had more movies like this, especially movies that were the four quadrant kind of films that can appeal to everybody, then that would be a wonderful, wonderful world. If we have more films like this, <laughs> uh, I guess if you mm. think about it in the uh, orvoir right. of uh, of of Pixar, yeah, I I don't think it's one of their best. Um, I think there were some pacing issues that I had I had problems with. I didn't love the whole Terry side character. And that whole thing, I kind of felt that that dragged a little bit. It it kind of felt like there was a little bit too much yeah. of a disconnect between that that yeah, that's, story. Yeah, that's a character that definitely feels more for the kids. Yeah, and so for me, it, it kind of slowed the pacing down uh, of the film. Um, I I loved all of the stuff on Earth. I didn't love all of the stuff in The Great Beyond and The Great Before. Some of it was good. Some of it just felt a little bit kind of out of balance for me. Um, so for me, I would say it's, you know, like, again, knocking at the top tier of Pixar. And I actually agree. It's Incredibles. It's up. It's inside out. I do think Wally for me is in the top tier. And then of course, Toy Story. I missed one. Mm. I'm, I'm paying attention to the chat here. Yeah. I totally forgot Coco, dude. I honestly Coco's think Coco great. might be my number one. Like that real, that I, I, I not a crier. I totally <laughs> sobbed my eyes out during it. it. Like I was, I was thinking about personal stuff, you know, a friend of yeah. mine that also died and stuff. So I'm like, dude, this movie is so amazing. And it, you know, I'm just getting touched. Uh, uh, I'm getting touched just thinking about it. Anyway, Coco's the best. Sorry. Yeah. That. No. So, so I, I kind of agree with you, Ryan. Um, I, but the, here's the thing: is I don't want to sound not so enthusiastic because again, we need more okay. of this type of quality of film and storytelling, especially for young people. Um, the message I think is actually extremely powerful and extremely potent. There's a lot of beauty in it, and so I think the more these types mm -hmm. of stories we have then the better and that is not in any way I don't in any way want to sound like I'm like being um, negative about this film it's just that it I think I went in. Could have been better. We can all, you know, we can it, say that. Exactly. But, uh, but, yeah, I think but it's it, is, it is so great to see folks making big, heady, conceptual movies for young people. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I would say cinematically, too, 
pretty great and uh, had some cool ideas going. And then the ending, dude, you got to end your movie with a bang. This end, movie ended with a bang. It did. And I appreciate that. It made you, it left you, that you leave the theater feeling good. Yes. That's the point of entertainment. Yes. Okay. Um, so now I think that gives us a lot of stuff to stew on for the next couple minutes here while we go through the recap. So let me just jump into that for people who are not familiar or people who just need a quick little refresher. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a flyby of a recap, even though now that I'm looking at how long it is, it's not as flyby as I would have thought. But there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of details, a lot of different characters and things that I'm going to kind of skip over. But anyway, here we go. Joe Gardner is a middle school music teacher in New York City who longs for a career in jazz. His mother fears for his financial security, so when Joe gets a job as a full-time music teacher, she is elated, while Joe is unsure because this means that he won't have the time to pursue his true passion as a musician. Joe's former student invites him one day to audition for jazz legend Dorothea Williams. He nails the audition, gets the gig as her pianist. However, as he's going to prepare for the show, which is a few hours later that night, he falls into a manhole and finds himself on a conveyor belt heading to the, quote, great beyond. Not ready to die, Joe runs backwards up the conveyor belt to try to get back to life, and he finds himself slipping through some sort of membrane wall into this barrier, and he ends up in the Great Before, which is a place where unborn souls are being prepared for their initial journey to Earth. There, he ends up getting given a job as a mentor for the problem child soul, number 22, who's gone through many mentors before, all of whom have been unable to prepare number 22 for the journey to Earth. Joe sees this as an opportunity to get him back to Earth, so he agrees to help out. The issue has always been that 22 needs to find their spark so their badge can be completed and then can be born on Earth. Uh, But Joe also struggles to find 22's spark. The two eventually go to a place called The Zone, and they get help from Moonwind, who was one of my favorite characters in this entire thing. <laughs> and the two make their yeah, way to Yeah, he's got an Earth. Austin vibe. He's great. <laughs> uh, however, Joe's soul winds up in the cat when they do get back to Earth, and 22's goes into Joe's body. So Joe then has to help 22 navigate the human body for the first time, while also trying to figure out how to get their souls back into their proper places, all before the concert that is rapidly approaching. While in Joe's body, 22 begins to experience the little things of human life. Eating pizza, the smell of wind, watching kids play, having a deep and personal conversation with the local barber, etc, 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 and starts to have a real change of heart about the goodness of being embodied and being a human on earth. However, both Joe and 22 end up getting caught by Terry, who's the accountant from The Great Beyond, and uh, the two of them get dragged back into The Great Before slash Beyond. 22 uh, gets into a fight with Joe, and 22 disappears into the zone and becomes a lost soul, and Joe learns that the spark just means that a soul is ready to live, not that it has to find some single purpose in life. Joe then heads back to Earth and has a successful performance with Dorothea Williams, but he doesn't feel as fulfilled as he expected. And so back in his apartment, he sits down at his piano and he gets into the flow state and he zones out and gets transported back to the zone where his soul is elevated so that he can track down 22. He finally reaches 22 and convinces them they are ready to live. 22 finally enters Earth with Joe... uh, Uh, with Joe alongside them. However, Joe has had to accept that 22 getting to Earth means that he will have to go to the great beyond and give up his life. But of course, he's rewarded for this selflessness and he's given another chance to live life on Earth, which he does, now ready to live and appreciate every moment of life. That is the basic synopsis. So, 
We'll get into that in just one second, but I do have to give a quick shout out to our sponsor for this week's episode, Skillshare. Look, no matter what 2021 is bringing you, one thing you can do is you can spend it creating something meaningful with Skillshare's online classes, because really, time is what we make of it. Now, Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. With so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. So some new classes that they're super excited to share are their DIY product photography. They have one uh, that can help you bring plants into your home to uplift your spirit and your creative spaces. They have one called Creativity Unleashed and one called iPhone Photography. If you are like me and you just cannot figure out how in the hell people make great iPhone pictures and photos for their Insta and stuff like that, you got to take this course. I just absolutely suck at it, so I need all of these types of trainings that I can get. So uh, this is also one of those things you can just rewatch and rewatch and rewatch and hopefully it'll sink into your brain because that's what I'm hoping it does to me because for some reason I just do not get photography. So I need these types of uh, these types of instruction. So um, bring color and beauty and fun to your year by exploring your creativity at Skillshare.com/smtm. That's for show me the meaning, right? SMTM. So it's Skillshare.com/smtm, and you'll get a free trial of premium membership at Skillshare.com/smtm, or you can click the link in the show notes. Now. Let's jump back into soul. So did anything that we talked about before the recap uh, make you want to dive into something any further? Or did anything when I was giving the recap trigger anything for you? Does anyone have anything right now? The floor is open. I will give you the floor, Raymond. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I will return the floor to Austin. Okay, okay, okay. Austin. So the floor is back to you. Oh, wonderful. I mean, I love having the floor. You know me. If there's silence, I'll just keep fucking I, talking. I love so. having you the floor and me <laughs> reacting to you being on the floor. Okay. Uh, first thing, let's just talk about some some bullet point things that are really cool, and this might trigger some conversation. One, really cool to see a Pixar film that is a film led by uh, people of color that is about black improvisational music. I thought that was really freaking cool, right? Um, I think there's a really interesting... Well, you say it's about that. It's like, it's like it also is kind of not about that, right? It's a, just could Well, so here's the interesting thing. There's a universal message, right, about soul and purpose and finding your meaning and, right. and falling in love with life. And then there's another thing that I think essentially makes this a, a black film. And what I mean by that is that this film celebrates something that is essentially a, a gift and creation of... Uh, the black American community in the form of jazz music that has shaped American society and shaped American culture in a very profound way. So all of the stuff that is universal, it starts from that particular standpoint. So um, finding your soul and being in the flow state and having soul, that is a universal thing. But there's also something really wonderful to celebrate about how influential jazz music. And I love how the father even at one point says, no, it's black improvisational music. So I think there's an intentional sense in which they're trying to say, no, no, there's also something really important to understand about this creative contribution to actually constructing the edifice of American art that is due particularly to a particular um, view of being human, and that human is something that derives from the black experience. And I think so it's universal, but it's also uh, essentially particular at the same time. 
Yeah, very specific. And I, that was why I wanted to make a point of uh, calling out uh, Kemp Powers at the beginning of the show um, as the co-writer and co-director of the film, that he is uh, a black American man. Um, and by all accounts, according to Pete Doctor, Dana Murray, I read a handful of interviews with them, and they said that he was really the key to this whole thing and bringing all these concepts together that before he was involved uh the character of joe uh pete doctor was playing with ideas of him being an animator or an actor and they really they really didn't know what the 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 way into this world was and i mean for lack of a better term they hadn't really found joe's spark as a creative team and then when kemp got involved when kemp powers got involved they said it just it unlocked everything through that specific lens that um he he made it about this specific place, about living in Manhattan, about uh, uh, his life there and about a medical scare that he had had in his life. Um, and we actually had someone in the chat who said that they worked on uh, some of the background art for this film uh, at the Alpha and Omega. We would uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, send in a, a voicemail or an email to uh, Wisecrack and let us know, because I, I uh, listened to an interview with Kemp Powers and he talked about the specificity of the background work on this and how it was really important for them to show a really diverse New York and, and uh, how much effort went into into that background work. And I. So I, I do think it's important to point that out, that Pete Docter, by his own admission, was kind of lost at sea on this one until Kemp Powers came in and made it specifically about the black experience, but in a way that was still universal for folks. Yeah, exactly. That That's... Both of you said it very... way more poetically than I could have. Well, and then here's the thing, uh, right? Totally like, agree. when we think of soul music, what do we think of? We think of James Brown. Right, we think of uh, when we think of jazz music. Aretha think, Franklin. Aretha Franklin. We think of jazz music. We think of like you know Miles Bi- Davis. Miles Davis. Billie Holiday. You know, we think of like going into a smoky fucking jazz room that's got like reds, and then up on stage there's people like ticking the tickling the ivory and playing the horns. And and I grew up. My family are all from New Orleans, so I grew up listening to Louis Armstrong, New Orleans jazz. Like that's what my family played on Saturday mornings when my mom was tending the garden. Right. So for me, I have mm. a very sort of particular attachment to jazz music um, that I think this film does a really wonderful service to. And in a way, I kind of felt that there was like a sort of, I had like a spiritual connection or or maybe not a spiritual connection because that makes it sound too like uh, transcendent, but a sort of like uh, brotherly, sisterly connection to Whiplash. Right, you've got Whiplash. Okay. Yeah. So there was the bit for some reason. I I, I was thinking about like Whiplash as being about. Um, you know, it, Damien Chazelle, like, didn't he actually go to music school? And that, that, that was a very autobiographical film. And, and this film also had that type of personal touch to it, except from a different side. You know, it wasn't about, like, this one particular person having a, a horrible teacher. This was kind of the opposite. This was, like, um, purely it starts from the point of love rather than the point of pain and work. Even though there's disappointment in there, um, it kind of starts from a different angle. But for some reason, I felt like they were really, like, I was thinking about Whiplash while I was watching this. It was kind of an interesting juxtaposition. But that's one of the things I really love about this script is that he's not, I mean, he is very dogged in his pursuit of his creative dream, but he's also a great teacher. You know, I I think that um, a lesser creative team might have made him a total burnout and he would be disconnected from all the kids and he wouldn't have that spark when he's in the classroom. But you do see him not go all the way into the flow when he's in his classroom, but you get glimpses of that, you know. Um, and I, I think that's that's a really lovely aspect of that uh, to the film is this notion that he wasn't 
born, uh, like they say in the movie, your spark is not your purpose. He wasn't born for this one purpose to play music professionally, but he he has all manner of purpose that he's not even aware of until later in the film that he gets to touch these young people's lives every single day and make a difference for each and every one of them. And I think that's really neat. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry for the dead hair there. The improv is a, is a cool part too because you can you know they got Tina Fey who's a god of a, a goddess of improv right so and and uh, I think they she said that they did some improv in the movie so I thought that that was kind of a cool touch to to have uh, kind of a more improv improvisational uh, animated film which is kind of hard to do and to plan out in a movie about improv music uh, improv based music which is you know that that's. Also, I think the key to uh, a lot of the film is just, you know, any anyone can just learn the same three chords like me and play a song for three minutes. But, you know, that dude's feeling it. He's in the zone. Right. It's improv based. You're, 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 you're feeling it as it's going. It's like the only kind of music that's really like that besides fish or the jam band scene. So I think that that's cool to base the movie around. Ja- yeah, they, they, what? jazzing they use that word in there like uh number 22 kept saying jazzing and joe's like no you, that's not a word but that's right it, it, i love oh. that word and i'm gonna start using that uh in the participle form. i thought it came from the stuff in the cigarettes jazz cigarettes and then they, they named the music after oh, no, no 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 <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah we know where your head is right yeah um but i love i love that idea of jazzing as being a sort of term to describe um, how you can be in the flow. And so my favorite film director from a, from a methodological perspective is John Cassavetes. Um, and Cassavetes oh, yeah. famously describes his approach as being a jazz-like approach. And he refers to it as composition in the moment. And he would do this where he would film films and he would let things kind of just happen. And you kind of create constructive coverage rather than just the simple like, wide, medium, close. It's kind of building from the ground up more organically. And it makes it more difficult because it's difficult to create consistency then with different angles if you're going to do shot reverse type of stuff. But the thing that's wonderful is it can be a little bit more true to life because life is composition in the moment. And so if you can learn how to quote jazz through life, then what you're basically learning is kind of tapping into the flow states or the zones, which is something that all the kind of like new age gurus are talking about nowadays. But there's something really powerful about this that has existed for thousands of years. And that's about kind of tapping into that flow, tapping into harmony, right? These are all different terms, you know, finding um, finding different um, harmonies based off of the melody within the backbone of the structure and then being able to create without and so it's great that the film also does that while also teaching us about the beauty of doing that you know and can i get a little meta man since jared's not here you know i gotta do it uh 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 if you know with you're playing you're improvising within like you said the structure of a song which is kind of what they're saying about life you know you got to have a little structure but you can improvise throughout it and it's kind of like life's just one long song man wow pixar soul just taught me something so there's <laughs> showed me the meaning tonight there's also. a great there's a great quote from um a sort of meditation coach that i've listened to and he says um sound stretched is music um Movement stretched is dance. Mind stretched is meditation. Life stretched is celebration. And I think there's something wonderful in that. Like sound stretched is music. And that sort of – it's the stretching 
that I think is yeah, something. That's what jazzing is, you know. And I think there's something the silence in the, between the notes. Yeah, yeah and there's man. definitely something pervasive about that art form uh, with regards to this film. Um, it, it it does feel. Uh, while it is obviously pretty cleanly structured, it, it does feel improvisatory. Like I never saw that moment coming when he falls into the cat. Um, it's just one of those things that, and I think to their credit, well, that was planned. But well, sure. <laughs> but what I what I mean is just the way that it seems like the creative team was willing to follow some strange impulses or things. Uh, or plot developments that might seem like, oh, is that a little too kiddy? Is that, you know, but letting it go to weird places like that or, uh, you know, the 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 plane where the ship is going across and they're uh, running into all the lost souls. There, there are such weird ideas. And I think that there are a lot of creatives who may have sort of turned off those influences and would have tried to steer the ship, so to speak, away from those uh, those weirder, more cartoonish aspects of this. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it's great the way that uh, this is, I would say, simultaneously like Pixar's most grounded film and then in some ways their, their most... Most aspirational. As well. yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's it's really, really cool to see how those uh, those worlds interplay. Yeah, I had a lot of people message me on Insta and Twitter, and so um, shouts to you all for for tuning my attention to this. I mean, it's a thick theme, but I think people really latched on to this. But the idea of um, meaning, purpose, finding your journey in life, being committed, being authentic, and affirming things in life, right? Like like the moment when, when 22 switches from their sort of uh, skepticism and distaste about Earth to actually appreciating it is a very simple... And I felt it had very sort of like wings of desire type of vibes to it. I immediately thought like, oh shit, this is the angel who has had a cup of coffee and is like, that's it. And then falls in love with a woman and is like, fuck it, I'm giving up being an angel so that I can be here on Earth, you know? Like that's that's to me, which is also, they made the, the remake of it, City of Angels, which if you saw that, the Nick Cage and Meg Ryan film. Um, uh, but, but yeah, Wings of Desire, one of my favorite movies of all time. But, but that's, there was something so beautiful about that, about the taste of pizza. And it's true. You have, <laughs> sure. the, the, the pizza is great, or a leaf that falls from a tree. There's this amazing quote from Brothers Karamazov, where one of the, uh, one of the brothers is kind of, he's an atheist, and then the other one is like, okay, well, if you're an atheist, what's, what's, what's what grounds you in life? What's the purpose? And he says, it's the sticky leaves. When you, that are like that you crunch under your feet, you know. And I always just get this picture of you it's walking. It's the little things. It's those little things, you know. It's not about having to to have your singular purpose. I'm gonna be a millionaire entrepreneur. I'm gonna have a billion followers. I'm gonna be a famous artist, actor, poet, musician, writer. I'm gonna have the house and the car and the wife. I'm gonna. It's not necessarily about that. It's holy shit, man. Like how many connections did I make with the local barber and just have that moment of truth and honesty and beauty with them? I had a, I had a ride with an Uber driver the other day who was like basically crying to me because of his divorce and his kids got taken away from him and now he misses them. And it's like, that's the real shit, man. And we need human connection. And this, to me, this film was so grounded because it was all about just connecting with the material things of life. And also, I, I, oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. no, I was I was just going to say that's one of the things that uh, Kemp Powers also highlighted in a handful of interviews. He, I think he said, this isn't verbatim, but he said something to the effect of uh, when, when you're at the end of the road on your deathbed, you're not going to think about uh, who I met at an awards party. You're going to think about those really quiet moments that give life meaning. 
Totally. And, and, and also I, I like that that's in a, so nonchalantly in a kid's movie, he falls down the manhole, <laughs> boom, he's dead. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, like, you know, there's this movie, yeah. a big part of the message is you are going to die one day, child. Yeah. And, uh, you better, you better enjoy every, <laughs> yeah. you know, your toes in between the sand at the beach <laughs> and hanging out at the playground. And it's just in car- cartoon faces. So you're like, Oh, okay. You yeah. know? Yeah. Like, like this is an intense kids movie and I love it. And I, I love how it's illustrated that he literally like drops out of life. He falls from, you know, through the manhole and then it's just the soul uh, uh, manifestation of him yeah. that sort of falls into the frame. It's just enjoy like, enjoy your life. Yeah. You never know when you will die and en- enjoy your popcorn here at the, well, at the cinema. I, um, Thank you for coming uh, to a Pixar film. There's this really wild thing that happened in, in Kemp Power's life that, and I don't want to get too dark, but when he was, a teenager he accidentally murdered one of his best friends um he was like he was playing with his mom's gun and it went off in his hand and he he killed his best friend and his parents uh, excuse me his best friend's parents uh didn't press charges and they were like we don't want your life to be ruined just because his life was taken you know we just and and he he took this like if you read his memoir he took this as like a mandate to go forward and have this obligation in life to almost live for the both of them and he wanted to be as great and significant as possible and then he had this insane like anxiety attack where he passed out on a uh, on a subway train and he he woke up and was like i can't live like this i can't live with this pressure and anxiety and my my friend would not want me to live like this and i can never forgive myself for what i did but going forward i have to recognize that like i can't just pursue this this vague notion of greatness or significance i have to really like live for the moment and and just try and do what makes me happy and try to add something to other folks lives while I'm here and he went that's when he decided like I'm gonna stop working as a journalist and start moving more towards a creative uh, uh, a creative path and I, I think that that is like the story of this movie I mean it's this guy who in some ways he he similarly got a second chance at life uh, early on because you know, they could have thrown the book at him after what happened as a teenager, but uh, the, his friend's parents were so gracious, and he he credits that as like a miracle in his life that he had this extra chance to go forward and and really figure out you know what this whole thing was about. You know, and it's, I think it's really important that what this film does too is it doesn't take a dualist side. It has to present that there's the world of the soul and there's the world of the body. But what it doesn't do is it say it doesn't say when you're in the flow state or you're in the zone, that's the only point of truth. And neither does it leave you with, well, only eating pizza and only seeing children. No, it's that actually they're kind of they need each other. And it's because Joe is able to tap into and find his soul again, then he's able to come back into his life and be like, oh, snap, okay, now I can actually ground myself, right? So it's like those things need each other, and then it's about jazzing through life, which I think we could say is finding the soul in the daily mundane activities that don't appear, that appear to be soul-less, and that's really cool. Yeah, finding art and inspiration in the mundane and in the everyday, and and that is, I mean when they're sitting down and uh and, and that little helicopter leaf starts falling and just yeah. how beautifully it's animated and the way <laughs> that uh it, it, it's like 
of course, this is a controlled environment, so they could make every shot at magic hour, but it's one of those things where when you're swept up in the moment, you're thinking to yourself, like, man, this is just, I can't believe, what a miracle shot. I can't believe they pulled this off. (laughs) But you do, you get swept up in it. You go, yeah, you know what? And of course, like, they couldn't have known that this was going to come out in the midst of a pandemic where everyone was stuck inside, but... I think it is a testament to uh, the the beauty of the little things in life, um, and it, I, I think now more than ever we need uh, the the kind of movies that that reassert that sort of beauty. Yeah, Ryan, you strike me as somebody who does this quite well. I mean, you know, I've we've we've known each other for a few years, but really only through the digital medium, um, and we got mm-hmm. to see each other in person one time. Um, yeah. But but I feel like this is something I. I would, I, I could totally see that you watching this film, you'd be like, "That's right." You know, you talked about it at the beginning, but you do seem like somebody who really does try to enjoy um, those little things, like even just like watching your videos and stuff like that. Like I watched the one the other day where you're at the crossroads with like ro- where Robert Johnson yeah, sold great. his soul to the devil, right? Like, like, and like then you ordered the McChicken, or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can you can you believe that that this happened? Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, number three. <laughs> So this is a churches. Yeah. So so do you think that, that that there that like thematically that there is something kind of just really important about what this film was expressing about finding the joy in those little things and like why like what does that mean? I am just always yes. The answer is yes to your question. But I uh, and yes in terms of how it relates to my life, I definitely am a YOLO person. Where <laughs> it's like, like, and I take that. And I don't just say that because you know it's on T-shirts. It's like I think that seriously. It's like 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 I never got. It seems like it's part of life and humans to just become jaded, right? Where you're like, all right, get into the routine. And there's just something kind of beautiful about getting into a routine and knowing what you're going to do every day and stuff. But also, like I definitely was one of those kids where the second I found out about death, I was like, what? <laughs> we, I'm. Just, it's over then. I don't know when. You never know what's going to happen. And then I'm. Yeah, I. I and I actually have a story. Uh, I didn't have anything that ha- like like happened to the director, but I actually did. I had the inverse of that. Um, I didn't shoot my best friend, but I was at my my grandma's funeral when I was like literally eleven or twelve, and it was at the reception at my cousin's house. And I went down, and we were going to play on the pool table, and there was a rifle there. Uh, and I and I literally like picked it up, and my all my cousins were there. And I shot it like thinking like, oh, they're not going to leave a real you know an, an unloaded rifle, and just boom, everyone hits the deck, it blows a hole in the wall. But I like absolutely thought about that forever after till this day until you especially resonated with the thing. Like I could have fucking killed my you know my fucking cousins. So it's like. I did it, and I got like lucky. It was like you know, heads or tails. You know, like I was pointing in their direction. So it's kind of like I'm an idiot. Also, I'll just throw that out there. Like especially <laughs> when I was 11, um, I don't do that now. I don't. I don't. You know, whatever. But it's like, dude, like you never know. I could have killed my cousin. I, you never know when you're gonna die at my grandma's funeral. Um, but then, uh, uh, you know. So yeah, anything and have you know, you know, you're going on down the road. Whatever. I don't have to repeat myself, but. Yeah, I feel I find that people get jaded way too quickly in life where it's just kind of like, like, all right, I'm part of, you know, you're, you're, you either have goals you're not hitting and you're just thinking about tomorrow, but it's just kind of like, dude, no, this is all you got and you better fucking enjoy it. Well, anyway. it's yeah. also that tough thing. And oh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Raymond. No, I was going to say just uh, one. One of the other, I think, masterstrokes of this film is that it gives him the opportunity to live his dream and realize that he still finds himself wanting. 
And I think that so many movies, I mean, maybe 90% of movies treat the, the realization or the fulfillment of a goal as the ends that justify all means and the thing that brings total spiritual fulfillment and emotional fulfillment and you cut to credits and you leave the theater happy, like you said, Ryan. Um, but I, I think there is something really, uh, really smart about how he gets the opportunity to live this dream and he walks out of the building on cloud nine and he turns to Dorothea and he says, okay, so what's next? And he thinks she's going to say, like, we go on this crazy tour and we're going to record albums and you're going to win Grammys. And she goes, uh, we'll be back here tomorrow night at like 7.30. And he's like, yeah, right. Yeah, another okay. day. <laughs> so my my dream is uh, becoming a rhythm. It's becoming, it's becoming my new normal. It's becoming the mundane. And it, even if you are fortunate enough and uh, privileged enough, I mean, like, I, I can only speak for myself, but I'd say all three of us feel pretty privileged to be able to talk about movies um, and, you know, do that as a job. Um, like... It's still you. You still have to find the things that excite and invigorate you within that new framework, because any rhythm is going to become or, or can become monotonous, or uh, like you said, the, the the status quo. It can kind of just start pulling you down, or uh, make you jaded or cynical. Spice it up and stop and smell the roses and enjoy the little things. <laughs> all those cliches combined. That's what this are is all true. about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it is really lovely because. I feel like it provides a nice contrast to so much of like uh, like insta insta inspiration and stuff like that these days, right? With like insta inspiration, it's all about what do you really want? Like find a life coach or find someone who can teach you how to visualize and you can find what you really, really want. And this film is like, okay, cool. So you'll get what you really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. You wanna, you wanna, you okay. wanna really, really, really wanna zig a zig ah, right? Um, Do you so wanna be my lover? I would I say lover. just as profound a work of art as Pixar's soul. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but what it really is is like, okay, if you if you focus too much on those narrow things, and this really goes to the heart of a lot of research and psychoanalysis and anthropology and stuff like that. Well, maybe when you get that thing, you'll actually realize that you don't want it. And you hear this all the time. Like you just said, was it Kemp that said that, uh, that like, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be like, oh, man, it was great. All those celebrity parties that I had and stuff like that. Right. You're not going to be like, man, I fucking I love my brand new shiny refrigerator that had the filtered water system <laughs> and I could sick put like 20 like cartons of ice cream in the freezer. Like, no, you're going to be like, man, remember the time that me and the, the, my friends, me and my family were sitting on the back porch smoking cigarettes, just talking or drinking a yeah. glass of wine and just talking or remember that the, the shooting stars that we saw in the sky that one night when we were on the beach and it came out of nowhere or that weird thunderstorm that hit you when you were on the hike and you weren't expecting it and all of a sudden you just let go and you were just screaming in the rain because it was amazing like those are the things that matter and so really like how can you attune yourself how can you live a life a rich fulfilled life that isn't not motivated. Joe doesn't not become a musician at the end. He's still going to be a musician. He's just also going to recognize that, guess what? I can still find my spark as a teacher. I can still find my spark talking with the barber in the barber chair. I can still find that spark having a piece of pizza and going to see a shitty B movie at the like movie theater around the Like whatever. It's those things that can become mundane that there's soul in those things. And the barber has a similar experience where he talks about how he had aspired to be, um, uh, what, was his, what was his ambition? A vet. Oh, yeah. He, a vet. he said that he wanted to be a veterinarian and that he 
started cutting hair as a job and he was like turns out i'm great at it i love it i get to talk to people every day and it's you yeah. know it, it, the, cool. the movie is replete with those signposts about like this the, uh i guess to to put a, a tidy bow on it you could say that uh uh of course life is what happens while you're making plans the old mm. adage um but this uh all the cliches are coming out there, today yeah, yeah, right. But what you were hitting on there, I think, is a a, a, a much more uh, salient truism that there is a really beautiful emotional diversity in the in it really really specific stuff that they um that that they explore in this film. Real quick, let me ask you this: We're all artists here to some degree or another, right? Yeah, we're all artists, right? Sure. So, what do you think about this struggle between career and stability? Right. This is the mom. You know, uh, the mom is like you, she, her husband was a musician and she, she saw that, yeah, he had success, but it was not easy. And she doesn't want that for her son. She's like, she wants security and simplicity and ease for her son. So this struggle Mm -hmm. that you have between career and stability versus following your passion, right? Like, what do we think about that? Is there such a dichotomy? Like, what does this film maybe teach us about that? Well, I, I, I have... A lot of thoughts on that, actually. I think that this, another reason I'm grateful every day is because it's like, dude, not only were you born, but you're born now. Like, we're literally leisure time and being able to go, oh, what's my passion? I want to spend, you know, my 20s. You know, if you're like, you know, not everyone can do that, obviously. But like, like a lot of people do compared to a thousand years ago, uh, you know, or 100, 200 years ago or whatever. That's all I'm saying. And the fact that this is like a relatively recent phenomenon in terms of, like the whole idea of, oh, I'm going to have a career that makes my money for my family, puts food on the table, and also I, I love it and it's the thing I'm so passionate about. Like that's such a fine, small amount of people that did it in history and then also now, even now, people that, you know, that are trying to do that, like that's supposed to be the end-all, be-all dream. And I do think that, there, that, that, that you got to be a realist about it like anything else. It's like you got to be, know what the routine is and learn to love the routine in a way. If you're into these kind of creative things, like we all are, uh, uh, and you got to be okay with not making very much, you know, uh, money for a long time and maybe never making a lot of money. And you got to be fine with that and be aware of that. And also not be fooling yourself and be delusional is kind of what I would tell somebody, you know, and, and it's not like, and if, it doesn't happen in 20 years. It doesn't happen in 20 years. But you're like, hey, I enjoyed the ride. Like, that should be good enough for you, hopefully. You know, that's my, you know, in my opinion. But also, I feel, find nothing wrong with the person, like, like the guy who just, like, was the last soul in the movie and then just goes, wait a minute. What am I doing here? You know, I'm here at a desk job. I get routine. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like, like, in the, in the past, it's like, dude, jobs weren't for fun, man. It was for to literally provide for your loved ones, you know, and... That's secondary. And obviously, if you can have both, like you can hope, like I'm kind of saying now you can, it's like, go for it. But, but don't, I, I don't, I, I never would s- suggest that like, you know, like, oh, it, people that aren't just doing like fun, creative stuff, you know, are wasting their life. I think that they're basically doing what they have to do and then coming home and enjoying the time they have with, you know, and then enjoying the little things, the breeze with their kids or whatever, you know, and that's perfectly valid. Yeah, and there's there's something uh, inherent to this uh, this film, and I think the the art form of jazz. Um, the the jazz music consultant, and I think he composed some of the pieces in this as well, was John Batiste. Um, uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did a great job on on the score, but most of their stuff was in the Beyond world. And I think he was talking about how uh, no one 
uh, even jazz musicians uh, don't think of themselves as like, or rather that uh, no one gets into jazz music because they want to get rich and famous. They do it for the love of the game. And I, I think that, that that sort of informs this film in a major way that he is, you know, he's uh, he, he's not trying to be uh, Lady Gaga. He's not trying to be Prince. Um, it, that he is someone who, even at the height of his ambitions or if uh, his wildest dreams were to be achieved he would still be the 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 kind of musician that typically still has to keep gigging he's never going to be Williams. a household name yeah Dorothy well, Williams. yeah and yeah, yeah. and that's character. most musicians and most creatives period you know yeah, like even absolutely. if you get a little like it's very the one person the top percent or whatever like they get to really just live off of their thing so you're totally right it's not really a choice you don't have to make the choice of do i want to do one or the other you can totally find room for both and that's kind of what the movie's saying too is there's some balance time management yeah yeah, yeah. Some, so know, the last in the, this film okay i was gonna say the last theme real quick and then we'll jump into the mailbag um is there is also some interesting stuff here philosophically right so this issue about uh uh the soul kind of being born through the trauma of childbirth they say at one point um, into the human body, and then this other bit about how all, uh, Earth is soul-crushing. This made me think a lot about some um, ancient philosophical ideas that come out of Greece with the work of Plato uh, and, and Socrates, right? Um, Plato actually explicitly talks about that, how childbirth is a traumatic experience, and that's one of the things that we deal with as human beings, and that the whole point of being a philosopher for Plato, at least in some of the dialogues, is that the philosopher is the one who tends most closely towards death because that's when the soul is released up into the truth of reality into the world of the forms or the ideas or whatever, right? So there is something also interesting that I saw here as well. And and it could be viewed as a dualism, right? That it's, oh, the souls are good and the body is bad. But I don't think that's entirely it. So when they say that earth is soul crushing in this film, this is kind of what I was getting at earlier, is I think what they're saying is, listen, unless you attune yourselves to the soul that is within the earth that you can tap into, that is there animating, all of life all the time then it can become soul crushing so there's always that war that you have to battle with against that tendency but it isn't about escaping the body it's about finding the soul within the embodied existence that will then give you a complete life so that when you do go to the great beyond then you can kind of do the whole I had a lovely fulfilling life so it's kind of just some interesting themes that I thought going on as well that I wanted to just share so yeah 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 and if you guys are philosophy buffs out there and you're listening and you want to expand on this more, send us an email. You can send it to us at wisecrack, oh, sorry, movies at wisecrack.co. Um, and then, of course, you can also call us at 1213-534-8807. We're going to transition into the mailbag now and we're going to talk about some voicemails. Again, you can call us in the future if you want to chat about soul, if you want to talk about anything else from our back catalog at 1213-534-8807. Let's go to Emily, who had some thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984. Hi, uh, this is Emily and I'm calling about the Wonder Woman 1984 uh, show me the meaning episode. Um, I love the show. Thank you so much, you guys, for your thoughts and whatnot. Um, and I had this idea, and it occurred to me while I was watching the movie for the first time. I watched on Christmas, blah, blah, blah. And I got the impression that it wasn't just the movie taking place in 1984 or even trying to comment on the decade, but it was written and performed as though it were a film from the 80s. 
um, I sort of went into it. That occurred to me early on enough, too, that I think it helped me enjoy the movie more. Um, I took it less seriously because I was treating it like, I don't know, you'd treat some of those over-the-top 1980s action movies. So um, running with that idea, if that's what they were trying to do, how well do you think the uh, you know crew, et cetera, achieved that? Um, yeah, can't wait to hear your thoughts. Uh, thanks very much. Bye. Yeah, this is great. This is kind of touching on, I think, what Raymond said. So I'll turn the mic over to him, and then let's get Ryan's thoughts because we didn't get to chat with him about Wonder Woman. But Raymond, you talked about how that opening uh, scene in the mall was very much like Superman, right? So yeah. 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 And so, what which, do you think about was, Emily's uh, thoughts? In, yeah. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I thought there was a really fun kind of uh, wholesome energy to that uh, that first couple of scenes, really. Um, but I think some of the 80s stuff that really brought it home to me and I had a similar vibe that Emily or I had a, a similar thought that uh, Emily did was uh, just when they have in the middle of their fucking superhero movie. And this is not too, I don't know if it's to the film's credit, but they stop the whole plot so that Chris Pine can have like essentially a shopping montage raiding this other guy's closet. Um, yeah, there's there there is a um, I don't know that. I, I want to make this comparison too strictly, but it, the Valley Girl, I'll Stop the World montage where <laughs> they're they're going through the San Fernando Valley and uh, and you know it's just like an incredible vibe, just one of the one of the the all time great '80s montages. And I think the movie is trying to do stuff like that at times because there is this large section of the movie where she and Chris Pine are just exploring Washington, D.C. And, uh, I mean, they must have gotten a huge, huge subsidy from the D.C. Tourism Board for this movie. Uh, I think, because, no, I mean, sincerely, um, I, I imagine they, they probably did. That was probably key to shooting it there because they have, oh, there's shots on the mall and here's the <laughs> shots uh, uh, shots over at the Smithsonian and then we look how clean our underground trains are. And it was just like, what are we doing here? And why isn't this montage snappier? And where mm. are the 80s tracks? Um, so I, I, do, I do see where you're coming from with that one. I had, uh, uh, like I said, some similar thoughts when I was watching it, but I just think they missed the mark. Ryan, what do you think, brother? Man, I didn't see the movie, dude. Oh, you didn't? I, uh, I no, I um, I didn't. Did you let's like delay so, Tenet you... so we can do Wonder Woman again next week? So <laughs> did you I'm behind like... on lots of movies. Did you like the first one? I liked Wonder Woman one. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to step on you, but yeah, no, yeah, no. I, I liked, I liked Wonder Woman uh, one a lot. I liked the whole fish out of water vibe. I thought it was cool. Yeah, and um, funny. I'd be curious. Important. They try to curious. do that again with Chris Pine in this one. Yeah, maybe maybe if you get a chance this week to check it out, because I'm sure we'll get some other mailbag stuff in the coming weeks, and maybe we can just kind of just to kind of revisit it again at some point, because it's you know it's kind of interesting, but we think ultimately okay. maybe it kind of fell short in in some key key ways that kind of derailed. The I've whole heard thing. a lot of mixed reviews. I've heard people yeah. rave, and then I've heard people say no, not for me, or not good. So I don't you, know. You could probably watch it on one and a half speed, like 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> that was for like my 12th view. No, I know. Okay. I know. I'm 20th. saying I, I think this one would be fine on your first view. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Um, so, yes, if you want to call in and leave us a voicemail, please do so at 1 8807 Now we're going to jump into the email mailbag. And if you want to send us your thoughts via email, you can movies at wisecrack.co. That is movies at wisecrack.co. 
www.sunnyhealthcare.co. So we're going to start with an email from Sunny, who sent us a very long email, but I'm just going to go to the portion where uh, Sunny is talking about bad Santa. Okay. Sunny writes, Hello, Show Me the Meaning crew. I'm a big fan of the show and have been listening for about two years. I was really excited to see you guys were doing Bad Santa and I liked the episode. Although I think I enjoy the movie more than you did all. Basically, I think it's just a cultural thing. The movie is about trashy people and you kind of have to identify with trash or enjoy the trash aesthetic to get the full benefit from it. For me, it was very funny and at the same time very sentimental and it all worked for me. The fact that the characters, especially the main character, show minimal growth is kind of the point and what makes me like mm-hmm. it so much. I wouldn't have wanted more growth because that would have ruined it. These are characters living near the bottom of the barrel and they don't want to change. They don't want to conform, do better, or be productive in life. I don't think the wooden pickle represents a penis. I think it represents a shit log. They don't want to think about anything other than getting wasted and having sex. It's a very, quote, lizard brain living in the moment type of thing. So at the end, the fact that the Santa impersonator even thinks about the kid for a second and tries Trying to get him the elephant is pretty sweet, but I like the fact that nobody really changes more than that because it's like the movie is saying, okay, these people exist and they don't have to change really. We can accept them, we can have them as is, and even they can experience somewhat of a family and some form of care and giving, even if it's minimal. What you guys think? Austin, now I'm behind on my show me the meaning that I that I yeah, have yeah, yeah. was not a part of. And did, did you guys shit on Bad Santa, one of the best? Christmas movies or just movies, period. I ever. don't know what that the? we shat on it, but uh, I, I was see, a little You cold. said that he, he said he liked it more than you. You didn't give it a glowing review. That's I a 10 not. out of 10 must my see review, for me. My review was not glowing. Oh, M fucking G. But what the floor you, the floor is yours because it was your choice and you couldn't be there. So have at it, That's right? true. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that, I picked that one and then I couldn't <laughs> yeah. be there all of a sudden. I'm in, okay, uh, so why, why did you choose that one? Um, uh, well, yeah, I agree with every fucking thing that that guy just said. <laughs> I love movies like that. Like, yes, I wish there was more. And uh, uh, not saying just like like it's it's per, transcends your average shitty people just being shitty movie, which I think encompasses a lot of you could put Judd Apatow's movies in there, but they usually learn something, you know, but like, uh, uh, where it's just kind of like, all right, we're going to watch part of the fun is watching these, I guess, you know, like you said, trashy people. I love trailer park boys and stuff like that. So yeah, I really relate to a filmmaker who is going to just, no one really learns anything except there are moments of life, like soul, you know, there's like little things like he, he enjoys like, Oh, kids like elephants. I'm going to make this kid happy. Cause like he doesn't have to end up like a shithead like me. You know, uh, uh, it's just, I like the naturalist part of it. I, like I said, agree with everything he said, and it's fucking hilarious. How can you not laugh and thought bad saying it? So you guys explain yourselves. Now, let's go. Let's hear it. I don't Briefly. even, I don't even remember what I said. Uh, I think that I was like. Talked a lot uh, about sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, honestly, I don't even remember what I said about it. I, I literally don't. Wow. I I think I remember okay. I was like it just wasn't the it wasn't the Christmas it wasn't the sentimental Christmas film that I kind of like wanted to vibe out to I think or something along those sentimental lines. Christmas film you don't comfort to bad Santa for sentimental Christmas films I know I'm I mean, jingle all the way for that it is called bad Santa I know I know yeah, but it's I was bad just, Santa I just needed Kidding a little me? love at the end of the year and I needed some <laughs> you know I was just feeling a little I'm sorry that I made you watch bad Santa when you were looking for love it's all good year, I'm glad I saw. I'm glad I watched it, and we, of course, had a great conversation, so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show there. 
Tell us where we can find you on the internet. Ryan, where can people find you? Man, I, Ryan Shorts. YouTube and Facebook and all the Instagram and all that shit. Um, uh, I'm, I have so many shorts shot and I have not had no time to edit them. So I'm behind. I'm about to have a ton of them come out. So uh, anyway. Uh, oh, and, and, and one last thing I want to say. Go watch Possessor Uncut. That's my movie recommendation movie. for you this week. I love the shit out of it. Make sure you're watching the uncut. Brandon, Brandon Cronenberg, David Cronenberg's son, who more than lives up to his name. It's fucking awesome. Go We've watch. had some requests for Possessor. Maybe we could do that in February. Did you guys like Antiviral? Possessor Uncut. I, I did. I did enjoy Antiviral. I, I, I'm a shitty Cronenberg uh, 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 psycho fan, and I have not seen it yet. It's just like a lot of these other films. The, yeah, sorry. Well, I uh, am a good Woman, Cronenberg whatever. psycho fan, and I did watch it. Oh, well, Raymond, well, where can I would, people I would hear like you? to talk to you about <laughs> Where that? can people talk to you about uh, good Cronenberg films and things like that? Yeah, yeah, we can talk movies over at Twitter. I'm uh, at Crematoria, at Crematoria on Letterboxd as well. And uh, I'll throw out a movie recommendation uh, as well while we're at it. Uh, Kemp Powers also wrote an adaptation of his stage play called One Night in Miami that's currently streaming on Amazon. Whoa! Um, Highly recommend it. If you're a Prime member, check it out. I watched it last night in preparation for this podcast, and it was wonderful. And uh, I love the whole history of it, but I haven't. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, like it. It, it it's. Uh, I, I think a perfect watch for today. Uh, Martin Luther King doesn't feature in the film, but it uh, it, it is about uh, Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown. Uh, a sort of meeting of the minds at a, a crucial turning point in the ongoing uh, uh, black struggle for civil rights in America. And uh, I thought it was beautiful. Highly recommended if uh, if you've got Amazon Prime. That's One Night in Miami. Amazing. Cool. Uh, yeah, you can hit me up on Insta, AUS underscore H-A-Y, Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. I mentioned this last week. I'm just going to mention it again. Uh, my play opens in two weeks. It's the yes, famous... Bravo. Thank you, thank you. It's the famous American classic by Sam Shepard. Uh, he's a Pulitzer-winning playwright, if you're not familiar with him. This play was nominated for a Pulitzer. It's called True West. I star as the older brother, Lee. And uh, if you're in Sydney, come check it out. It's playing at Flight Path Theater. Um, the first week of February, so the 2nd through the 7th. If you're not in Sydney, you can access, we're doing a live stream version of it. There's two film or two uh, shows that are going to be live streamed, but if you purchase the ticket for the live stream, you can either watch it when it's being live streamed or you can just watch it uh, up to a week after the actual thing. And just keep in mind the uh, difference between Sydney and the uh, northern slash western hemisphere. We're a day ahead. So the live stream for us is on our Saturday, which is your Friday. So, um, but yeah, check that out but again it doesn't matter because you have access to the archive and it's only 15 bucks australian which is like 12 bucks us 10 pounds or nine pounds british so it's cheap as chips support indie theater support your boy plus it's a fucking punk rock as shit play can't wait one of the best plays oh, that yeah. ever been it's written in america play. it's fucking yeah. amazing so check it out we love you ryan take us out please Goodbye from the great beyond. <laughs> this has been Show Me the Meaning.